Good morning. Boy, Alan pumps you up, doesn't he? He just gets you ready. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 50. This is the last chapter in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 15. We're actually going to be looking at the last verses in the last chapter of the first book of the Bible. Verses 22 through 26 of Genesis chapter 50. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this time that you've given us. We know that every day is a gift. Lord, your word reminds us so often of the brevity of life, how short, how temporary, how every day needs to be embraced and lived as a gift given, every breath. And certainly how we need to be ready for what happens next, after this life. So instruct us on such matters this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I'm taking you to a deathbed scene in the scripture. That great man of God, Joseph, one of the patriarchs of the faith, is at the end of his life. He's about to die. He's on his deathbed. And look what we read beginning in verse 22. It says, So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So Joseph lived a good, long, full life. He lived to be 110. That's pretty good, right? And his life was an incredible story. His life was a story of rags to riches, one of the ultimate rags to riches story. You remember at the age of 17, his brothers viciously sold him into slavery. He arrives in Egypt as a 17-year-old, becomes a slave. In the house of a man named Potiphar, he ends up going to prison until 30. He gets thrown in jail in Egypt for no fault of his own. Very tough first 30 years. But God moves in incredible ways, and eventually Joseph is sprung from jail and becomes second in command of all of Egypt, making him the second most 
powerful man in all of the world. And he'll spend the next seven years getting ready for a famine. And because of his administration and skill, the whole world saved from his famine, including his brothers and family. He will then spend the next 70 years of his life, think of this, from like 40 to 110, as the second highest ranking Egyptian royal. When he dies, as it says there in verse 26, his body is embalmed like the Egyptians did it with the pharaohs. His body would have been laid in a sarcophagus, limestone above ground, decorated, prominent place. Everyone would have remembered him throughout Egypt. So he lived a very successful, you know, powerful life. But what really mattered at the end was family. That's what mattered the most. Joseph had been married. Joseph had two sons, verse 26, some by the name of Ephraim and Manasseh. It says Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. So he was not just a great grandpa, he was a great, great grandpa. And that made him incredibly blessed. We're told in Proverbs chapter 17, children's children are the crown of old men. He had grandchildren that he saw all the way to the third generation. Do we have any great-grandparents in here? You're blessed. Any great-great-grandparents? There was a couple this morning. They're really, really blessed. That's the life that Joseph lived. Very powerful and successful in what he did. And this wonderful family. And by the way, when you get to the end of life, it's really the family that matters the most. It's the people you love. It's the people that you're near to. The end of your life, it won't be the business you built. It won't be the money that you have. It won't be the car that you drove or the house that you lived in or the clothes that you wear. It'll be your family. And the impact that you made upon them. And leaving a life of faith, a legacy of faith. Joseph was prepared to die. And he died living a legacy of faith for his family. He was an amazing man of God. He was a servant of the Lord. He was an example to his family in faith and in forgiveness. I think of the way he forgave his brothers after all that they had done to him. The Hebrew language in verse 23 speaks of a very intimate relationship that Grandpa had with all of his grandchildren. They were brought up on his knees. He spent lots of time with them. He taught his family. And I love this promise that he makes on his deathbed. With great confidence, he says, I am dying but God will surely visit you. I love that. My race is done. My work is complete. My life is over. God's been with me, and he'll be with you. God will visit you. I've lived a life of faith, and now you can as well. Oh, to be able to say that on your deathbed to your grandchildren. 
And he reminds his family, his whole family gathered there, of a, of a big promise that God had made. And he tells his family to make an oath to him. He says, now, everyone's around. You picture this in your mind. Here I know we're all in Egypt, but Egypt's not our home. God promised our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a different land. Egypt's not our home. We may be here in Egypt, but it's not our home. I'm dying, but I promise you there's coming a time in the future when God's going to visit our family. And he's going to take us back to the promised land. And then he made them swear. When God visits this family and brings us back to the promised land, dig up my bones. Carry my body to the promised land and bury me there. Give me a decent burial there because the promised land, that's where my heart is. That's what God wants for this family. What a beautiful. Well, his children remembered that promise. And in fact, those of you who know the history, the nation of Israel will basically stay in Egypt for the next 400 years and they'll grow to become a strong nation. But they'll never forget Joseph. They'll never forget that promise. 400 years later, Moses is sent to deliver the nation out of Egypt And after the Exodus, we read in Exodus chapter 13, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Isn't that amazing? 400 years later, they dug up Joseph's coffin. They carried Joseph's coffin through the Red Sea. The first generation... They didn't go into the promised land, and they had to wander around in the wilderness. How long? Do you remember? Forty years. They carried the coffin of Joseph around in the wilderness for 40 years. Finally, at the end of Joshua, when he takes over, we read, The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor. Isn't that amazing? For 400 years. Jacob, Joseph was ready for faith and he left a legacy of faith. I, I, I think for 400 years in Egypt when they saw his tomb, the Hebrews would say, yeah, that's that man of God. And remember that promise that he made. His faith carried on not only to his immediate family to, but to succeeding generations. He was ready for death and he left a legacy of faith behind. I'll ask you that. Are you ready for death? And if so, will you leave a legacy of faith behind you? If you're on your deathbed surrounded by your grandkids one day, will you be able to say to them, I'm dying, but God Maybe you won't have the luxury of a deathbed. Maybe you'll die suddenly and unexpectedly. But will the life that you have lived speak to the living? I remember that guy. He was a man of faith. She was a woman of faith. I want to speak frankly this morning about death. 
I think it's important. I know death is not our favorite topic, and we don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it, but we should. And I don't mean in a morbid way. I don't mean that it's something that we constantly dwell on. But we need to be thoughtful and mindful. Death is certain. Everybody dies. The most basic thing about life is death. Those who are born die. Everybody dies. The statistics on death are impressive. Every one out of one person dies. I looked up some health data from the world health data. Last year in 2023, 61 million people left Earth. Do some stats. Do some math on that. Every second, two people die. By the time we're done with this hour, 7,000 people will have died. It is a steady stream of death. You know, you'll find lots of genealogies in the Bible. You know the genealogies? Have you ever read through those? Those are the ones you tend to skip over in the Bible. So-and-so was born, so-and-so had this many children, so-and-so lived these many years, so-and-so died. So-and-so died, so-and-so died. You know, the first genealogy of the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 5, going right back to Adam. Adam died. He begot so-and-so, that person died. Death is certain. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it is appointed for men to die once and after that to face the judgment. Death is universal. It's no respecter of age, gender, nationality, economics. Old people die. Young people die. Teenagers die. Children die. Babies die. Well-known celebrities die. Unknown homeless people die. Couch potatoes die. Marathon runners die. Poor people die. The wealthiest people on planet who have access to the greatest health care on the planet die. You'll never escape it. Every now and then I'll, I'll read, have you ever seen the articles about some of these uber wealthy, they're trying to figure out how to live forever? And they got these pills that they're starting to try to take to reverse their aging. Good luck with that. Some of these guys, they make clones of themselves. Or they request that their bodies would be put under a deep freeze when they die. So they could be woken up. No, you, you won't cheat death. It's universal, it's certain. And we should also consider death to be something that is imminent. Death is right at the door. King David, when he was still a younger man in 1 Samuel chapter 20, 
said, there is but one step between me and the grave. There's one step, always, between me and the grave. Malcolm Muggeridge once said, I have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, and the foot on earth is on a banana peel. So true. You're never guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Death, it's right there at the door. Car accidents. Freak accidents. Heart attacks. Crime. You should live life as though death is imminent, so you're ready for it. I'll never forget last year I received a phone call from a good friend of ours here at church. Served a lot of years here. It had since moved away. Terry, Pastor Terry, they found cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry, brother. Prayed. We kept in touch. We text. No less than two, maybe maybe three weeks later, I texted him, and it, that text was returned from his son, who had his dad's phone. My dad passed today. Two weeks, three weeks, gone. I had four very dear friends in my life in high school, like brothers. By the time I reached the age of 52, two of them were gone. Maybe God blesses you. Maybe you have, maybe you have a longer life. You get to live to be 110. In comparison to all of eternity, it's a little blip on the radar, isn't it? so short, so temporary. Years ago, when Dr. Billy Graham was still alive, he was at a university, and a student asked him a question. Dr. Graham, what's the most surprising thing you have discovered about life? And he quickly quipped back, it's brevity. Those of us who are getting older, maybe you younger folks, but the older you get, the more time accelerates. And the more you are just so aware of how short life goes like this. I remember my dad telling me when I was seven. He said, man, I, 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 I went to bed one day and I woke up one morning and I was 40. And I remember thinking, what's he talking about? <laughs> now I know. Life is so short. James tells us, you do not know what will happen tomorrow and what is your life. It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That's your life. You know, the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 teaches us that death is the last enemy of the human race. And it really is an enemy. I hate death. I hate what it does to families. I've done more funeral services than I can count. I've been to more gravesides than I can count. I've been with families in the hospital room saying goodbye to family members. It always crushes me. It tears me up. To see what it does to people. It is the great enemy. But it's coming to everyone. 
And will you be ready? And really, I want to I put you face-to-face this morning with your own mortality. A lot of times we talk about death and we say, hey, did you hear what happened to that other family? Oh, we need to pray for that family. They just lost grandma or they just lost. And a lot of times we're, we're thinking about it. But you know, one day, one day, you're going to die. Your body will be buried six feet under. Can happen sooner or later. Are you ready? You know, the Bible says that you can be prepared for death. Joseph was prepared for death. He died in faith. He was able to give faith on to his family. Job, he said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. He knew that even when he died, one day he'd be raised. He was a believer in God. He was prepared. David writes in Psalm 49, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. He was certain about it. He shall receive me. Psalm 73, the psalmist says, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. I love this phrase, my flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Paul the Apostle, when he was facing martyrdom, he knew he was about to be executed, beheaded by the Roman Emperor Nero. He writes this, this is his last letter. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, Paul was ready. He knew death is just a passageway. Do you have that hope? Are you prepared? It's the most important thing that you could be prepared for. Wouldn't you agree? If you're going to be prepared, there's some things that you need to know about death. Where did death come from, by the way? Why is there death? Why does everyone born into this world die? Well, the Bible tells us it's because of sin. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So this takes you back to the Garden of Eden. God places Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. They were to walk with God. God created people in his own image, which means they have free will, which is really free. They have legitimate choice. And, and you've got to have free will if you're going to have real love. God created man, put us in the garden with free will. And there was an opportunity. You can, God said, you can eat of every tree except this one. You, you can obey me or not. And what did Adam and Eve do? They rebelled. They sinned. And God had said, if you do this, death, sin, will come. you'll die. They did it. And now sin has spread to everyone in the human race ever since Adam. And that's why death has spread to every experience of every human in the human race. That's where death came from. 
But praise be to the Lord, we have a God who loves us. He's a God of grace. And he made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says Jesus was sent to pay the price for our sins. The perfect lamb of God left heaven and he came for the sole purpose of dying on the cross, bearing our sins, paying the price for the sin that we deserve to pay the price for. Jesus did that. He died in our place. All of our sins can be forgiven. But he didn't just die. His body was laying in a tomb. But on the third day, what happened? He rose again. Jesus, the Son of God, has defeated death. And the Bible teaches, listen, man. If you'll admit that you're a sinner. If you'll acknowledge who you are before God and who God is. And if you'll acknowledge what Jesus has done for you. If you put your faith and trust in him. Your sins will be forgiven and you'll be victorious in life. You'll be victorious over death. You'll not have to fear. In his own words, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed over from death into life. My friend, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. You'll become a child of God. You'll have the absolute certain hope of heaven when you die. You'll have the hope of a resurrection. You'll have the hope of a reunion with loved ones in Christ who have gone ahead of you. You'll be ready. Have you placed your faith in Christ? And if you're prepared to die, only then are you really prepared to live. Only then. Because it's then that you know how you're going to spend your life. You know that how important it is. You know how short it is. And you know what you need to accomplish and who you need to serve. And you know that you need to leave that legacy of faith. I love this. There's something you want to see in this verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Do you realize that the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, at that very moment, you're given everlasting life? Everlasting life isn't something that you have to die to get, although you'll enjoy everlasting life a lot more after death. But when you give your life to Jesus today, he gives you everlasting life right now, which is a spectacular life. It's a higher quality life. The Bible uses a word in the Greek, bios, just speaks of physical life. Just physical life. And in a fallen world, physical life can be so unstable. Sick, die. And then there's another word for life, psych, psyche in the Greek. It speaks of your mental quality, your personality, that inner life, which also in a fallen world can be quite unstable. The life here in the Greek is the Greek word zoe, which speaks of the supernatural life. 
the everlasting life, the higher quality. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are given a life that is spectacular. And it's a life that you will enjoy more in the next life. And when you become born again, when you've received Christ, when you know, man, your eyes are open to what matters. It's been said, if you don't believe in the hereafter, nothing matters. Right? Doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. But if you do believe in the hereafter, then nothing else matters. Nothing else. And you'll live for that day. And you'll be saved and you'll want your children and grandchildren to be saved. You'll want your friends. You'll want your parents. You'll want everybody in your family close to you. You'll live for Christ. Are you doing that? Are you ready and living for that? Jesus told a parable that I just think is so amazing. In Luke chapter 12, it says that he spoke a parable to them and he said, the ground of a certain rich man yield plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull my barns and build greater, and there I'll store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, don't you love that? Soul, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. Now, I would say the majority of the human race lives in that parable. Life is about what you collect, where you work. About making things happen in life so that you can have a life of ease. You can eat, drink, marry. You know, make everything just really great here on earth. But God said to him, what? Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. God calls the person who's not ready to die a fool. And when God calls you a fool, boy, you're in big trouble. Don't be the person that just lives in that materialistic physical part of life you need to be ready you need to be saved Jesus needs to be your Lord and Savior and then he needs to turn you into a woman of God, a man of God he's going to make a difference in the life of family friends, relatives so that you'll leave a legacy behind Would you bow your heads with me? And I invite you to just really do some deep soul searching right now. This is an important moment. There's no accident that you're at this service. And quite frankly, you don't get a lot of opportunities like this in life. 
where you are confronted directly with your own mortality. And I'll just ask you straight up this morning, are you ready to die? Are you prepared? Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, then I want you to make sure right now. Jesus died for you. He rose again so that you could have eternal life, so that your sins could be forgiven. And he did that, and he's alive. The Bible says if you put your faith and trust in him. And I mean you, individually. It's got to come a point in your life where you say, I need him. It's not enough for your parents to be Christian. It's not enough to have Christian grandparents or a Christian spouse or Christian friends. you got to be Christian. If you've never done that, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now just to help you. You're making a decision. You're saying, God, I need you. Save me. Save me now and for all of eternity. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. If the Lord is speaking to you, if the Lord is drawing you, do not say no. And if that's you, just in the quietness of your heart, Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Just say something like this. Lord Jesus, I cry out to you. I believe in you. I admit to you that I am a sinner. Wash away my sins. Forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And then with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'd like to ask another question. If you're a born-again Christian, if you're here and you say that you're a born-again Christian, and you were to suddenly die, would people recognize you as a Christian? Would it be an obvious homecoming service for you? Will you have been known as a, as a man of God, a woman of God who's leaving a legacy behind? Or would people at your funeral service sort of have to guess and hope? Man, don't live life that way. That's you. You're a born-again Christian. God has touched your life. Live for him. You know, there's Christians that live in that parable, Luke chapter 12. They're saved ready for eternity, but they spend their whole life on worldly things. Don't be that person. Maybe you need to surrender your life afresh to the Lord right now. And if that's you, just in the quietness of your heart, a prayer like this, Lord, I want to come back to you fully. 
I want to surrender every area of my life to you. I want to be known as the man of God in my family. I want to do my job for you. I want to live my life for you. I want to live my life as an example to others. Restore me. Forgive me. Strengthen me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, he heard you.